Welcome to the Pillars of Change podcast presented by the Middle States Commission on Higher Education. I'm Commissioner Dr. Carl Person, a public member serving on the Executive Committee of the Commission and a former NASA official. I would like you for, to thank you for joining me for the Commission's continuing series of podcasts focusing on the topics of diversity, equity, and inclusion. The Middle States Commission on Higher Education is closely aligned with assuring trust and instilling confidence in higher education. As an institutional accreditor, the Commission prides itself on advocating for honest self-reflection that results in meaningful change at our institutions. And because the Commission recognizes that it holds an important voice and space within the higher education community, this podcast series spotlights highly effective institutional practices that have made a difference in the lives of our students through diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Today, we are talking with Dr. Wayne Frederick, president of Howard University, a distinguished scholar and administrator. Dr. Frederick has advanced Howard University's commitment to student opportunity, academic innovation, workforce development, public service, and fiscal stability. Under his leadership, Howard is at the forefront of driving the conversation on issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Not to mention, now having one of the most famous alumna in the world, Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris. And I know a wonderful celebration is ongoing at Howard. So welcome, Dr. Frederick, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So we're going to jump right into the questions. What is your sense of race, diversity, and inclusion in our country today? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, today what we are experiencing and seeing, um, I think, is the eruption of what has been under the surface. So it's always existed. It's almost like you, you've had a volcano that has been splitting some ash. Uh, ashes for uh, some time, and now you have a major eruption, I think. So it's always been there. The rumblings have been taking place, and I think a certain segment of our society, uh, to be quite honest, has, has ignored it for one reason or another. Um, and that now, I think, has, has burst into the open. I do think we have to also make some distinctions, some distinctions between race and ethnicity. Uh, you know, I think oftentimes we use the terms interchangeably, but we have to recognize, especially as we become uh, such a smaller world because of the connectivity, um, who, it, who the types of people who are interacting with one another and what happens as a result really changes. Um, you know, the, the construct of, of the idea of race as a genetic profile or a genetic descendancy versus an ethnicity in terms of how people identify and their, cult their cultural and environmental um, compass. And, and then when you talk about um, you know, inclusion and equity, uh, again, you talk about something different and it has to be bathed in justice because it's not just about um, giving people something for nothing, but it's about being fair. It's about um, living in a more just society 
that recognizes the humanity in all of us, which I think should be the umbrella uh, for any discussion on these issues, that there's a humanity in all of us that has to be respected, um, really revered, and to be quite honest, um, really held up. Excellent. And I think your discussion of defining the issues of race, diversity, and inclusion as you know, separate entities, but it leads me to my next question. What role does higher education play in enhancing or altering the conversation of diversity and inclusion on individual campuses? You know, I think higher education plays a critical role because you have young people in their formative years um, who will go on to become leaders in our society. You have faculty who have spent a lot of time researching issues, accumulating a lot, a lot of knowledge. And so you really have the perfect um, cauldron, as it were, for all of the ingredients to come together and form um, what I think could be a great solution. However, what has happened is we've become, um, I think, a bit technocratic, for lack of a better description, around giving people the technical information they need, the knowledge. Uh, we've started talking about skill sets and credentialing. But what we, in doing that, I think, all of which I, I, I support, but what I think that has, some, has probably taken away some attention from um, is the fact that we are, in a lot of ways, the solution for big social issues. And the way we, we promote that is by making young people recognize that if they work together, even if they disagree politically or they have different religious beliefs or they, they are from different ethnicities, that there is a magic in critical thinking, in critical discussion that results in bigger solutions. And I think as our higher ed institutions, we have to play a role in, ex in making sure that the young people who come to us have an appreciation uh, of the bigger problems and the fact that they actually may represent the solution, but they don't do that as individuals. They do that as, as members uh, of a larger team. And that team right now today uh, is the human race. Excellent. I think I just recently read somewhere or how it was named the number one private institution in social mobility or something like that. So, That's correct. That's absolutely correct. Yes. So let's move on. So during the past year or so, we've frequently heard the following two statements. Statements of support are important to solidify the position of the college or university. Actions and engagement are the hallmarks of institutional position and change. So do you see those two statements separately or sort of um, look at them together? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, the presidency um, of our universities, I think, has become uh, very complex and complicated. Um, we want our presidents to do everything. And we often do not um, undo the presidency from the president. And I think that's an important distinction. The presidency of a university is very different from the president who may hold that position at the time. And what we want to see in our president is an expression from the presidency that takes away their humanity to some extent. We want that person to be a mechanical um, purveyor of messages. And I think that's why we end up with these statements, as opposed to if we would allow our 
presidents to get back to what they used to be, the embodiment of the culture in our universities, I think then we would be, give some more latitude on what that expression and then the subsequent action is. Um, and I think that, that we have to start, I think, um, letting our presidents uh, lead and take that appropriate lead in the society that they used to. I mean, you think of a Father Heshberg and you place him in this time. And I think often of not just what he would say, but what he would subsequently do. Yes. And he had a certain latitude, right? He didn't have to be a social scientist or, you know, he didn't have to be um, the, the person who understood race theory the best. You know, I, I mean, one, all of those things in one statement, that's impossible. Uh, but I think he would have been at the forefront of calling for justice. He would have been at the forefront for calling for change. And he would have been at the forefront for setting up structures to do that. But I, I think the, the latitude that is given to presidents today um, isn't quite there. Having said that, there are some who do it. Let me just be clear. You know, I, I think President McGuire at Trinity is an example. Um, some of us run very public private universities like I do, and that latitude in some ways is constrained, unfortunately. Yes, absolutely. So your, your response leads me directly to my next question. What role does the college or university president play in diversity and inclusion, both on campus and the surrounding communities? And I know you being there in the Shaw area of DC which is really the heart of the city, uh, there's, there's been change in, in your area. Yeah. So, so how do you react to that question? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I'll tell you, I think, the, I think the president, it starts with the president. It starts with the leadership. And also we have to be, the first thing I think you have to do, to do is to be honest with what is the institution that you're running, what are its strengths and its weaknesses. That's oftentimes, we are, we are resistant to speak truth to power as it were, right? So for instance, I will, I will speak about my experience at Howard. When I started, um, I had one woman dean, right? Out of 13 schools and colleges. And anybody would argue that Howard's DNA is social justice. Well, if it is, how could you have 70% undergrad, um, undergrads as women and you have one woman dean? So I decided that that was my issue. So all of my search committees are gender balanced. Everybody has to do unconscious bias training and competency, cultural competency training. And I don't interview uh, finalists unless one of them is a woman. Now, nine of my deans are women. And so you, it has to start, I think, with the leadership. The second thing I would say, which may be viewed as a bit controversial, I don't necessarily believe in diversity and inclusion officers. And let me be clear about this. Um, I think the people who do that work do fantastic work. But my point is that if you are serious about it, then it should reside in the president's portfolio. You shouldn't have to create a separate diversity and inclusion office or officer uh, to do it. That still suggests that it's probably not necessarily your priority. I think if the president takes it on, as this is my responsibility to fix, that sends a, fair, a very different message to everybody else in the organization. If the president is at those meetings, is talking about it in every statement he or she makes, I, I think it comes up. And then when you then when after you've done your own self-examination and make sure that your house is in order, you can speak to the wider public 
one, about what you've done, but also about what you want to see in terms of the change, right? So the change has to start with us and then you have to do it. And on you mentioned Shaw and the fact that the neighborhood is gentrified and that's true. So what I did early on in my presidency is I invited the neighborhood into the university and I had them sit with my faculty, my students, uh, my administrators and myself. And we had a conversation about what, how it is, right? It, th there was an education that was required to let them know what the university was and why it was here. And I think that that has proven to be fruitful. Excellent. That's a very, uh, I, I was pleased to hear your conversation about the whole position of a diversity and inclusion officer. That's, uh, that's an interesting point you make. Um, but that leads me really to my next question. So what have been your greatest opportunities and challenges in advancing your efforts on your campus? Yeah, well, you know, clearly, I think the, the opportunity around gender, the opportunity around where our blind spots may be, because we're predominantly African American, right? Um, our LGBTQ positions and, and that community and trying to lift up that community. Right? So, so there are different ways to look at it. Uh, we're working right now on a relationship with Gallaudet, for instance, where I'd like my freshman students in their freshman experience class to, have, to interact with Gallaudet students. That's a different type of discrimination and disability, but I think it could be powerful uh, for them to learn from students who are deaf and, and uh, unable to communicate in the way that we communicate, but live in a broader society that doesn't accommodate them well. I think it would be great for my students who may be marginalized because of the color of their skin and the ethnicity to hear that, you know, how do these young people navigate the classroom? How do they navigate jobs, you know, et cetera. And I think that that could bring a different sensitization to the experience of the Howard student. And so I think that that's a big opportunity for us to look at, at differently mar marginalized uh, communities and really give our students a broader experience. And I would say in terms of challenge, the challenge we, I have is the challenge of the broader society is facing today. And what is that challenge? The challenge that the broader society is facing, to be quite honest, is the challenge of uh, culture. And culture, uh, quite frankly, is simply tolerated behavior. And over the past four years, we've tolerated the, I, I would call um, the dehumanizing of people, right? We, we've tolerated getting on social media and saying whatever you want about somebody else. We've, toler we've tolerated calling people names. We've tolerated disrespecting you know, the office. You don't expect behavior of a certain kind in certain offices. And unfortunately, our universities are not immune to that. And I think that whether people like the behavior or not, we've normalized it. And I think that that is a big challenge for us going forward to, to reverse that trend. Thank you for that response. I do have a follow-up. This is more of a, um, just to get your insights on what Howard and what you're doing beyond your campus. And, and this really relates to, I've noticed that you have received some really nice gifts uh, over the last year. And I'll just highlight a couple of those. Uh, the one you received from uh, a gift to open a women's center. And You've also received a gift for ethical leadership and racial justice initiative. And you've received 
uh, a gift for a nonprofit leadership program. But I think on top of all of that is a gift you received from Mackenzie Scott. Just talk a little bit about how those gifts will be used to help broaden this whole discussion about uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, so like I said, um, you know, my, my approach is always let's make sure that we're doing the things we need to do. And women, gender issues um, is something we needed to elevate on our campus. And so that center is critical. Dr. Duwani, who's uh, um, in a faculty member in political science, has really led that charge. I've been engaging and interacting with her over the course of a few years. I, I recognize her commitment and uh, where we would go. And so uh, we were really aggressive about fundraising to kind of to, to help support that. And so that, that's how that came about. With respect to you know, the other gifts, I think the primary issue with the other gifts is that we've been aggressively trying to tell our story and, and being consistent about that. Uh, we send more African-Americans to medical school than anyone else. We've trained and graduated more African-American physicians than any other single institution in America. Uh, if you look at Harvard's MBA program, um, the, over the past 50 years, the number one supplier of African-Americans or black students to their MBA program uh, was Harvard undergrad number two, Howard University. You look at STEM PhDs. I mean, you go down the line, law African-American lawyers. I mean, you go down the line. We are very much at the forefront of diversifying a large number of fields. And so we've been out making the argument that it's not just a numbers game, but the quality of the people that we've been putting out has been making the society a better society. And if that is what people are interested in, then they should invest in Howard. And so that has been our approach, it's been effective. Uh, I think when I first took over the presidency, what I needed to do was to make sure that we were on better fiscal ground, that we were performing better academically, and, and that our research enterprise was, was churning over activity that we could be proud of. And those things, you know, as you know, they take time. Right? You know, your universities are more like flotillas as opposed to catamarans. So they don't all turn at sharp angles and it, it takes a while to round that corner. We've rounded that bend. Well, one of the ones that I didn't mention was your recent uh, award from Amazon to diversify Hollywood. Yeah. So th th this is part of uh, my workforce development vision. Uh, we went out uh, the very first month I was uh, named president. I went out to Silicon Valley and met with several companies and pitched the fact that if they were going to complain about the lack of uh, the ability to code in the African-American student, that they should take a responsibility to help us improve that skill set. And so my, um, my, my proposal was, why don't I send my students out to you embed them in your culture, have the Google engineers and the Howard faculty co-teach, because I also wanted my faculty to be better. And uh, let's, let's see what happens. And uh, you know, Google took me up on that um, proposal. Uh, they did that. And now uh, we, we have students at place, uh, not just at Google, but throughout Silicon Valley at a greater propensity. We've since spread that from Howard West to the other HBCUs and the Hispanic serving institutions. And so with Howard Entertainment, the idea there was, I wanna see uh, students green lighting films, 
uh, when they graduate, of course, I want to see African-Americans in the C-suite. I want to see them in front of the camera and behind the camera. And so we've sent students out from our law school, business, communications, and fine arts uh, to this program with Amazon Studios, where again, they're being co-taught by professionals, practitioners in those different fields and our Howard faculty. And uh, we're in a second iteration and it's it's going fantastic. Um, you know, we ultimately, as part of our Howard Entertainment, uh, you know, vision is to ultimately be able to have a production company, as it would, to make and tell our own stories. And I think that that, um, you know, would would be a great culmination of of this vision. Excellent. So let's go on to the next question. How can the lessons learned from twenty twenty, you know, the pandemic? BLM, the elections, et cetera, advance your thoughts about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how are they or can those lessons be applied to Howard? You know, I think uh, the first lesson that I hope we learn, I think, is a very simple lesson. That is one that I think we knew all along, and that is that uh, the value in each of us is not measured by our wealth, the color of our skin our station or position in life. But it's as said by several people who've gone before us, what must be important is the content of our character and the fact that we maximize our ability to love each other and to see uh, the humanity in each other. And I think that that is still the basic lesson. It doesn't matter where we are in society, it doesn't matter how technologically advanced we become. <laughs> that still is the fundamental lesson um, of our human existence. And now that we are here, I think sometimes you need a re-education as it were. Repetition is the key to learning, I think people say, and sometimes you need to, to have major, um, major issues occur for us to be reminded of what we should be focusing on. And hopefully that's what will come out of this, that we will get back uh, to doing the work of, of lifting up each other. That's so key, especially in the environment that we've been dealing with here in this country. We have to uplift one another. Mm -hmm. So finally, what do you hope that the impact is upon your students from your institution's efforts on diversity, equity, and inclusion? You know, I, I hope that the impact would be that uh, they continue to do what they've been doing. I, I think the silver lining here is always gonna be our students. Um, our motto is truth and service. And what we say to students is you come here not to get a degree. You come here to get an education. And the way that education works is that you then go out into the society and you change the society by providing service based on the knowledge and the truth you acquired here, right? And so it's about getting an education as opposed to a degree. So with that in mind, what I hope is that our students will see in the issues of diversity and inclusion, et cetera, that they ultimately would see the humanity uh, in, that, in those lessons. And they ultimately would see that the biggest tool that they have to go out and apply with their knowledge is love, love for each other and love for seeing a more complete society. And I think if they continue to do that, as they have been, um, I do think uh, that we can be very optimistic about what our higher education institutions in general are going to do to change this society. Well, we truly need more love. And, uh, and I thank you for 
being one of those change agents and Howard University truly is um, producing students who, who change the world. And we see one in our new vice president. So that, that is such a wonderful thing to see. Well, Dr. Frederick, I truly do wanna thank you for joining me this afternoon. And I truly appreciate your willingness to share your thoughts on race, diversity and inclusion and how your role as president and how your campus uh, are addressing those issues. So thank you very much. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you want the commission to highlight the efforts of your institution in a future podcast, then please visit mscheorg slash pillars of change to submit your suggestion. On behalf of the Middle States Commission on Higher Education and our guest, Dr. Wayne Frederick, I'm Dr. Carl Person saying thank you. And please have a great day. <laughs>